Now, one of the main things we want to focus on while going through Acts is why do we do the mind? And one reason we do the mind is so we can learn the word, so we can live the word. And part of that happens is in discussion. And so we created these sheets for you guys to take home and to discuss with friends, with family, neighbors, spouses, coworkers, bug whoever you want with them, it'd be great. And they're broken down into three parts. If you read, it's head, heart, and hands. Now the head part, that's gonna be all just knowledge. So you're gonna be able to look in scripture, find the answers to it right there. The heart part's gonna be more about yourself. It's gonna be more about applying what we're reading to who you are in the moment. And the hands part is gonna be, how can you live this out? That way we're not just coming in here and reading words and listening to great teaching, but we're actually making it a part of our lives and we're showing Jesus to everybody. I'll tell you, it's one thing that's really cool tonight about having Tim speak is he's been so influential in my life. Uh, when I first started coming to Cornerstone, this was the man that got me involved in all kinds of stuff. He's been one guy that I've been able to ask questions to over the past couple of years, really landing to. He's encouraged me so much. It is such a blessing and an honor that I have this opportunity to invite him up here and to teach everybody and just to sit down and listen. Also, a great thing with the sheets, the back, perfect place to take notes. So without further ado, here's Tim Beal. Thank you, thanks man. Oh, I got it. Thanks dude. Oh. Well, good evening to you guys. Um, let's do this before we dive in. I have no idea what your weeks are like in getting here. But um, if you're like me, you basically ran home from work, like threw on fresh deodorant, um, hopefully, um, and then drove straight here. So let's just take a second. And um, I love how Barrett, how we ended that, just kind of that worship set of just kind of just relaxing for a minute. Um, this is, I I'm, I'm trying to like calm down a little bit. Acts is my favorite book. Like I, I love the book of Acts and the start of the church. Um, so before we get into that and we just run as fast as we can, Let's just take a second, and whatever's out there is going to be out there when we say amen and we, we shut the doors. So let's just take a second and leave whatever we walked in with out there for a minute and just ask God in these next few seconds to, to really speak through us. And I want to pray over us, and we're going to, going to jump into Acts 2 and see what, what his word tells us. So take a second, let's pray, kind of get ready for this, and then we're going to, we're going to hit it running. God, thanks for tonight. Uh, thanks for the rain, even though you gave us a whole lot more than we probably needed at the moment. God, thank you for, for just the, the fact that we could walk outside and see that there's something bigger than us. Jesus, would you um, use this time together that we have all of the, the things that are outside, God, if it's work, if it's family, um, if it's whatever, would you just give us the next few minutes to just separate, separate that from our heads and to allow you to speak and not have any distraction, any noise, um, and then, God, would you guard our, t our time in here and our voices that everything that's said, everything that's done, God, that it would be true to your word. Um, and then, Jesus, would you make this beautiful book that you left us, God, would you make it come alive tonight and just revive us, give us energy, give us strength um, to leave this place and not be smarter, but, God, to be more like you and, and to show the world around us what it looks like to love you, um, not just by voice, but by, by voice and deed. So, God, guard our time tonight. And, Jesus, we ask this in your beautiful, powerful name. Amen. Amen. Hey, grab, grab your Bibles. Acts chapter 2 is where we're at. 
Um, I'm understanding we're picking up in verse 37. Um, so Acts 2.37, real quick, let me kind of go into this. I, don't, I haven't been at the mine, so I want to make sure that we're, we're, we know what's happening here. Um, Acts is written by Luke. Um, it's written right around, we think, about 63 to 70 A.D.-ish, kind of right there in that time period. Um, it's one of the very first, if not the very first, recorded message that we have is what we're about to take. We just, hopefully you guys just read last week. Um, You've got Luke recording this. Um, it's one of Peter's messages, which is nuts because Peter just basically walks out and just starts preaching. Um, there's no band. There's no worship. There's no lights. There's no comfortable chairs. They didn't have coffee waiting for him. He just starts doing his thing and just starts telling people what Jesus has done. Um, and that's where we pick up in verse 37. So verse 37 in this, let me, let me start there, and then we'll, we'll kind of go through, and I, I want to hear from you guys on this. Um, 37 says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? T tell me this, because you guys have been here the last couple weeks studying this. What did they hear that cut them to the heart? And, and have you ever heard something that really grabbed a hold of you? And, and I'm not talking like the little commercials where they try to get you to give money to animal foundations. Not that type of cut to the heart. I mean like where you hear something and it just, it consumes you. What, what did they just hear that, that did that? Okay, I have no idea what you're saying. Somebody, I heard something. That they killed the Messiah. That they killed the Messiah. Somebody over here, is that the same thing? Um, what else? What else was in Peter's message? Because if you go back and you look at it, if you're looking at this um, from, a, like from a standpoint of like this is how you prepare a message, he did a terrible job. There's no illustration. There's no joke. There's no like three points and then a button up. There's no life story of his really in there. He just basically stands up and just says, hey, this dude Jesus came. He was God's son. Morons, y'all killed him. I don't know what you were thinking. But it's okay, God brought him back to life. Um, and, and we saw it. That's pretty much, right? Are, are we good on that? That's pretty much the message that cut them to the heart. But let me ask you this. Um, when was the last time you allowed that message to cut us to the heart? And, and this, this is my thought, and I, I say this a lot. I, I fear that we as believers, we become so comfortable in our faith, we don't remember salvation, that we don't remember that day. We don't remember enough what life was like before Jesus. And maybe life before Jesus, you don't even remember because you were a little kid, or maybe you just have always grown up kind of with these, you know, in church. But still there's a moment where God became real and life is different for you. When was the last time you were cut to the heart? So much so that you're sitting there thinking, holy cow, what, what do I have to do? do? Do you see that in verse 37, that these guys are sitting there listening to Peter's message this is who Jesus is, and, and this is what's so trippy with me. This is, um, this is around, when we don't know the exact date, but scholars are guessing between 63 and 70 AD, which I, I did this today just in kind of getting ready. If we go back, just, just we're gonna give them the kind of a benefit of the doubt a little bit. We go back 75 years. That's gonna take us to 1939. Let, let me tell you some things that happened in 1939 real quick. Um, on January 19th, um, Ernest Husson of Wisconsin set the chicken plucking record at 4.4 seconds. 1939, dude plucked a chicken in 4.4 seconds. That's impressive. Um, March 27th was the first NCAA men's basketball championship. University of Oregon beat Ohio State 46 to 33. And I, I don't know if we have any Oregon State fans. Didn't think so, me neither. Um, April 23rd, I know we got some Red Sox fans. I pray for y'all. April 23rd, Ted Williams hit his very first home run. So that's kind of a cool day. Um, May 5th, flash floods killed 75 people in um, Northeast Kentucky. I just threw that in because all the rain, thought that was kind of cool, but that happened in 1939. 
32nd president was who? Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 1939. Um, October 11th, this is kind of cool, well not really, Albert Einstein informed um, President Roosevelt of the possibilities of the atomic bomb. That happened in 1939. You skip to, 72, or to 73 years ago, on December 7th, 1941. Anybody? Pearl Harbor, start of World War II. How easy would it be for us to go back and to check any of these facts out? Now the chicken plucking thing, I realize you're like, nobody cares. There's nothing that's gonna tell me who plucked a chicken in four seconds. How do we know it wasn't 5.4 seconds? Was it a full chicken? Was it a hen? Was it a duck? How, how do we know? Nobody cares about that, so I just threw that in because I thought it was funny. Ted Williams hitting his first home run, though. That's a big deal in the sports world. How hard would it be to go back and, and dispute that? Dude, he didn't hit a home run, it was a double. How hard would it be to go back and say, you know what, hold up, Franklin Roosevelt, really? 32nd president? No, not 1939. He wasn't elected till 1942. How hard would it be for us to dispute that? Albert Einstein with the atomic bomb on October 11th, how hard would it be for us to, to do something on that where we're arguing that as being truth? And, and I have a point to this, I promise. The, Jap the Japanese army bombing Pearl Harbor in 1941, how hard would it be for you to find somebody that lived through that right now? Is it possible for us? And I, and I get that we're in a different day and age than when this, this is written, and my point is this. All of those things happened 70, 75 years ago. The story that cut these people to the heart happened between 60 and 75 years ago. So the story that Peter says, the story, his message that he preached, it's, it's still fresh in their mind. There's still people that could have gone back and said, wait a second, are you serious? This Jesus, dude? That's not how it went down. Let me tell you what, there's still people that could have done stuff like that. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of scripture because this is one of the things that helped give validity to scripture to me uh, and give validity to the Bible to me because there's nothing that we've found that really contradicts any of this. There's no, no recorded evidence of somebody coming up to Peter during this message and saying, hold up, dude, <laughs> that's not what happened. So again, let, let me throw this question out because this story of Jesus coming down, being Emmanuel, being God with us, being crucified, being put to death, and somehow beating that three days later should still cut us to the heart. And I don't know if it's because we have television and movies that have downplayed it, um, but now we say that and it's just kind of, oh yeah, that's Easter, we celebrate that. So kind of get this thought rolling through your head. When was the last time something was said, maybe something that you read in this book, cut you to the heart? So much so that you left that encounter where you're going, whoa. What do I do? do? Do you see the response? And I love this because these guys, they say it and they walk up to Peter and the other apostles and their response isn't, hey, theologically, did you know you're wrong? Because this is what happened. No, they walk up to Peter and they say, what do we do? You understand, and I'm gonna get to, to the next verse. I just, I, there's so much in this. When we go out to people and we tell them what God has done in our life, a lot of the responses that we get back are gonna be, Okay, what do I do? Us sharing that powerful story of how Jesus gave us a new life, that story of how God came in and saved us, it's gonna cut people to the heart because everybody is looking for that. They just don't know who they're looking for yet. And that's part of what Peter is telling these people here. So 37, when, people, when the people heard this, 
cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And look at how simple it is in verse 38. Then Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, look at the order of this, because I think as a church, we, we kind of mess this up sometimes. Um, repent and be baptized. Well, what is repent, somebody? Help me with that. To turn away. Well, what, is, um, what, what, what does that mean, though? Because we, we say that that's kind of, that's one of those churchy words that we throw around. Um, to, to repent. Do we understand fully what that word means? Um, ask for forgiveness. Um, to turn away. Um, re repentance in its truest form is, is basically a 180. It's where you're walking one direction and you stop and you turn around and you completely go the other direction is repentance. It, it's not doing that anymore. And if you look at what Peter does, they come to him and they're like, man, what do we do? And Peter doesn't give them a list of, hey, you gotta stop doing this, 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 this. Change the way you're doing this. Stop listening to that music. Start rooting for the Cardinals. You've gotta start doing all these things I threw that in because I won, and thank you for laughing at that, by the way. Um, he just says, repent, stop doing what you're doing, stop, turn around, go a completely different direction, repent, and then what? Be baptized. Why is baptism important in this, you think? And did you notice the order? It's not be baptized, then repent. That starts with repentance. It starts with us acknowledging we're going the wrong direction, making a change in that, and then baptism, why is baptism important? It's a testimony, what, what, is it, what does it testify to? Do what? The change that's inside of us. Sorry, I'm making this horrible for you guys with the mics. Um, repent, stop going the direction that we're going, turn from that, go a totally different direction, be baptized, let people around know that you've made a change. I get this a lot in ministry, and I, I kind of understand it, but I don't, so I'm hoping that maybe tonight we can flesh this out and it'll make sense to me. I get that our relationship with Jesus is personal. Why don't we share that with other people, though? And, and I hear this all the time, man, have you told anybody about God? No, that, my, my walk with Jesus, it's, it's personal. My relationship with God, it's, it's personal. Um, you understand that baptism is a public declaration of your repentance. And, and it represents the fact that we stopped doing what we were doing, that we died to ourselves, and that God raised us up in new life. Repent, be baptized. And then it goes on and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is cool. So if you look at scripture in different places, you see what this gift represents. Um, wouldn't it be cool today if, if we had the presence of God himself with us? Where you, like if you had a problem, you could just, you know, I don't know, drive down the 40 somewhere up to 202 to, to somewhere wherever God lived and knock on his door and be like, hey, dude, I'm really struggling. I don't know if this girl likes me, but I'm about to ask her to marry me and I don't want to do it if she's going to say no. So God, is this the right? Wouldn't that be nice to have him? Um, or you're, you're struggling for a job and you're like, man, should I really do this? God, is this really? And you could just knock on the door and be like, hey, Jesus, how you doing? I brought you some Chipotle. Talk to me. Is this really what my life should be? And then he could tell you, and you'd be like, thanks, dude. And then you could walk away. Um, God, is, should I really, man, should I really go to, man, should I really go to ASU? I'm praying about it. And I'm, God, you're, I feel like Texas Tech is really where I belong. But should I really go to ASU? God, give me some guidance. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that physical presence and to go, you, you understand what the gift of the Holy Spirit does? 
it enables you to never have to go to a door and knock and expect God to answer because he's with you 24-7. He's with you everywhere you go. The gift of the Holy Spirit is, is it's awesome for a couple reasons. T- tell me this, and, and let's get these guys running. What does the Holy Spirit do for you? What's his role in this? If he's a gift, if we repent and we're baptized and we received this great gift from God, what, what does he do? For, what does the gift of the Holy Spirit do for you? I have no idea what you said, but it sounded really smart. The, he's the counselor, okay, and the comforter. Well, I, I was about to say that com- comforter, and he's also um. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think. We, we have that unction or we have that, um, the, the filling, the, the, the filling of the power of the Holy Spirit, hmm. uh, which I'm, I'm trying to find that word, sorry. It's, it slipped no. my mind, but it's, um, you should re, re, receive the unction, which that's basically like uh, uh, anointing. That's what I'm trying okay. to think of, uh, of, of the yeah, I think you said that, yeah, commission or the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So then the Holy Spirit is receiving God's power in you. It's the gift of receiving that power personally. Is that kind of where you're going? I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. What else? It's also the seal that allows us to be covered when we get to heaven. So he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. So he doesn't see me as a wretched man. And I go to hell where I belong. Now, that, that's huge. It's the gifting, it's, it's God's presence, it's his deposit. It's like if when you're buying a house, you give a deposit that's promised that you're gonna continue payments and it's one day gonna be yours. This is God making a deposit in your life that's saying, hey, one day I'm coming back and you're mine for man, everything, but right now I'm gonna give you the deposit that's gonna tell everybody that you're mine here until I come back again. And it allows God to look down and no longer see us, but see Jesus. And so let that sink for just a second. The gifting of the Holy Spirit, part of what that does is it allows God to see Jesus instead of us, instead of our sin, instead of the things that we struggle with, instead of all of that. God looks down now and sees us. That should cut you to the heart. Do you see why these people were so worked up? They're like, holy cow, what do we do? What else? I'm just going to say he's our, he's our guide. Hmm. He takes us down different valleys and roads. And it's just like when I was young and we went on trips with the church and the kids and we had a guide, we had somebody that would lead us and Definitely. we could choose to follow or we could choose to go down a different path, but he's our guide, he's wisdom, he's strength and he helps us get through. That should, cut to, that should cut us to the heart. You have God himself that gives us a gift called the Holy Spirit. So we repent, we stop doing what we're doing, we turn, we, we repent from that, we're baptized, we make a public declaration of that to the world, that man, I'm following Jesus with my life. And by doing those two simple things, God gives us the gift of his presence in our life. So let, let me ask this question, I'm gonna ask this question all night, so I hope you don't get tired of it. When was the last time you were cut to the heart? It, it should have been about two seconds ago when you heard that God, that he guides us, that, that he's, our, he's our North Star that we can look at, he's our compass, he's our OnStar, he's Siri, but with a much cooler voice and with way more power. What, one more, what else? I was thinking more of um, when you re- truly repented and been baptized and come up clean and new, your conscience has been changed, your heart has been changed. And to me, the Holy Spirit 
is that comfort of heart. It's that Jiminy Cricket, say, for example, yeah. that consciousness that we are so um, given the gift of, of uh, looking at ourselves a lot deeper than we used to ever do because we would never take responsibility. Hmm. And now you've got that gift, that conscience, that conscious awareness of him in your system and you can't go back. You have a heart. That's good. That's where, when you believe in Jesus, have you noticed that once you've made that decision, you, you've repented and you, you start to do things that you normally wouldn't do on a normal basis and, and you get convicted of it, you're like, wait a second, what, am, what was I thinking? Why am I doing that? That's part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, later in Acts, it talks about when the apostles were being persecuted, um, they went before them and they were telling them they weren't supposed to preach and they responded and one of the things they said, we are the witness of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. He's our witness of Jesus' resurrection and our salvation. He's that witness to us since we weren't there to see it. That's good. And something that I just uh, was re-taught, I guess, today was that he, like, the retainer, he helps retain things that are spiritual that I know my mind usually wouldn't be able to under normal circumstances or based upon my history of abusing my mind. So, yeah, it's definitely cool that he's a retainer, helps them things, and he brings the remembrance of his words, of his truth. Which, that's cool. Have you been in that moment where you're, you're talking with someone and maybe they bring something up and you're like, oh man, I don't know, I've read this somewhere, and it's a verse that God showed you years ago, but it fits perfect with that conversation, and that's the Holy Spirit prompting and retaining that knowledge, and, and re- man, that, that's, that's good. What else? When we rest in him, um, he gives us the boldness to go forward because mm. we can't do it in our own power. He gives it's, us courage. It's, to, his, it's yeah. his courage it's that gives us our boldness to do it. That's good. Back in the Old Testament, there is a, there, there is a passage where God says that he'll take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Yep. That's part of the Spirit. comes in and replaces that heart of stone. That's exactly what baptism represents. Let me ask you this then. If we have this beautiful gift and all these things, and I agree with 100% of everything that you guys just said that the Holy Spirit is, why can't we hear him in our lives? Because some of us, when I just said just a second ago, hey, wouldn't it be cool to go to knock on a door? Hey, God, what do I do in this? How do I get out of this? Some of you guys were like, man, I wish it was that easy. I wish I could do that because I would like move to that neighborhood and I would like be Jesus's neighbor and I'd like trim his bushes and I would like, you know, take care of his yard. I would do anything it takes to get there and to be able to knock on his door and ask him a question. And then he gives us this gift where we don't have to go to him because the, the beauty of Jesus is we don't go to him, he came to us. And that, that's so beautiful. What keeps us from hearing the Spirit? If all these things are true, that he, gives, he gets rid of our stone heart and replaces it with flesh, that he, he gives us remembrance of things, that he's, he's our comforter, he gives us boldness, why can't we hear him? What, 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 what's wrong with that picture? Because I, I think some of us wish we could knock on a door instead of just opening up and listening. What, what keeps us from hearing the Spirit? Um, the Holy Spirit brings the message from God, and if our minds are too busy, we yeah. aren't receiving that message. We're missing the message altogether because we're, we're so focused on other things. We're not listening for That's the Word good. of God. That's good. Can I, can I ask us one thing real quick? This is the only time I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and answer this out loud, but I'd love just 100% honesty. How many of us, like we, we actually put into play the, the discipline of, of silence 
like during our day, during our time with God? How many of you would honestly say, hey, I, I act out the discipline of silence in my, my time with God? Can I challenge you for that this week? Because so many times we are so busy. Um, how many of you listen to music when you, when you have your time with God? I do too. Um, sometimes we have so much noise. Even music sometimes, I think, distracts us from hearing. His, can, can I just throw that out there as a challenge this week when you do your time with God and you have that moment where you're reading or where you're praying, get in a spot that's totally 100% silent and practice the art of the discipline of silence. Jesus did, he went by himself alone and, and prayed. How, how many times do you remember that? Jesus went by himself on the mountain and prayed. Jesus went out into the wilderness by himself and prayed. That wasn't because he was sick of people, totally. I think it was because he wanted that silence. He wanted to be able to just go out and hang out in, in silence. What, what else, what keeps us from hearing the Spirit? Well, the Spirit helps convict us. I say that again, because the, the Spirit helps convict us. Okay. When we ignore that conviction, the Spirit's voice gets smaller and smaller and smaller to the point to where when we need it, we're not used to walking with the Spirit and we don't know how to do that. That's really good. Sometimes we hear the Spirit's voice and it doesn't cut us to the heart because we understand that requires change. And so we ignore it and it becomes softer and softer and softer. I am, um, since I moved here, I have my background's animal science, I talk about that all the time. I like to freak out the high school students um, by picking up scorpions, which we have a ton of them in the student building for some reason. Um, and it's, it's really funny to me because they don't understand it. And Sunday I was picking one up before I was like going to speak and it stung me on the thumb, um, which I've been stung a million times. It's just been a really long time. And when you mess with them, it's not if you get stung, it's more when. And it hit me, tagged me right on the thumb. So my thumb is still completely numb. Um, I, I really can't feel it. Still, and I have a burn on the side of it because it's been numb since Sunday. Um, and I don't know how many times people have told me, Tim, stop that. Why are you doing that? Just kill it. Um, just, and I've, it's become quieter and quieter and quieter. And now I've got a numb thumb and a burn spot that I'm sure in a day or two is really going to hurt. Um, why do we do that? Why, why don't we? Never mind. That, that's, that's maybe too personal a question. Going off of that, because I do believe that the more you walk, it's quiet if you walk away and that's what I was going to say is it's whispers God doesn't yell now there are times that he does yell in your life when he's trying to really get your attention and you're being very hard-headed I know um, but it's more of him wanting you to lean into him and that's when his voice gets louder it seems like and I don't know about you but I love the fact that God is he's quiet when he speaks to us Sometimes he does yell, and sometimes he kind of, I feel like he's grabbing me by the shoulders going, hey, stupid, will you please just stop and listen to me? But most of the time when he talks, it's this really soft, calming, just soothing voice. A um, couple more real quick, and I don't, I don't want to not One get to the rest of this. What I was thinking of is that no matter how much we are in Christ, by nature, we are sinful, and it's all based on pride. Hmm. Mine, mine can be prideful. My mind can be prideful, my heart can be prideful, even if I profess to be this great Christian. The root of human nature is to be prideful, and we're afraid, simply afraid, for whatever reason, that we can't go talk to our Father. Can I throw something in as to why I feel like that is? Because I agree with you completely. I think it's because we aren't allowing it to cut us to the heart. 
Because if we, if we allowed this book, all these things, and I agree, again, everything that we're saying, this is why we don't, we don't listen, we're too busy, we're prideful, maybe we've, we've said no so many times, God's voice has become numb to us. It's because we haven't allowed it to cut us to the heart. We haven't allowed this book to do what it was designed to do, to be a sword that separates bone and marrow, that, that to shred and to open us up. And, and that gets into, perfect, into the, the next part of this. One more real quick, I, I wanna hear that before we go into this next verse. I just wanted to talk about um, going and spending time with the Lord in the morning. I do that in my backyard. My backyard's all tropical. And so that's the time when God speaks to me and the Holy Spirit directs me. I feel that you get that relationship and it isn't like I hear audible words, but it's like he gives me direction and you have to constantly be filling yourself with the Holy Spirit. And that you do that through reading and praying and meditating on the word. And I feel that that's, and then you've got to have that time to take the time out and just let the Holy Spirit just comfort you through the things you go through. Yeah, I agree completely. I think one of the biggest problems we have in hearing God's spirit in our lives is our lack of time we spend in his presence. How can we learn to hear God's voice when we don't even know what his voice says? Um, and when we spend so much time in our prayers, and this, this is where that, that practice of silence come into place, our prayer life becomes this laundry list of God, heal this person, save this person, give me this job, please make sure I can pay my rent, please do this, make this person not sick. God, I really don't like this person, so could you cause them to move? We go through this big list of things that we pray for, we never hear God because we finish and then what do we do? Amen, peace, and then we, we go out into our day, right? God, thanks for this day. Thank you so much for who you are, for what you do in our lives. Man, we want to praise you for your word. Let it be live in us. Amen. All right, let's go. And there's no silence for us to, to allow God to talk. Um, look, look in the next part of this, because this is where this gets really exciting to me, because this, this is the birth of what we are celebrating in today. I, I don't know if you realize that or if that's already been said a couple of times, but Acts 2, this, this is the birth of the church. This is all of this that we get to celebrate in today. This is where it started, is with Peter walking out in the street and just, hey, you know what? This is who Jesus was. You killed him, shouldn't have done it. Um, God raised him from the dead. Cuts him to the heart. The church gets started in that. Look in verse 39. Verse 38 said again, um, repent Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me throw this real quick and I just, now this is gonna open a huge can of worms so I'm just gonna say it and drop that bomb and go to verse 39. You don't earn a gift. Um, you receive a gift out of grace. Gifts are given to you, not because you deserve them, but because somebody better than you that loves you wants to give you a gift. Do whatever you want with that. Um, verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, I was reading through this. Does this mess with anybody, just this part about this, is, this, is, this gift is for you and for your children? Does, does that open any questions for anybody? Because when I was first reading that, I was thinking, is this saying that if I accept Christ, if I receive this gift of salvation, my kids are now covered because it's the gift for me and for my children? Is that what he's saying? Um, is that where this is going? So this would be passing on generationally through your families, and this would basically mean if your mom or dad or grandma and grandpa, if they've received this gift, you're set. Is that what he's saying in this? Um, back in the, I'll make you run. Say that one more time because that's, that's huge. Oh, yeah, wait for the mic on that because I, I want everybody to hear that. Right, so you, this is where you have to make sure you're reading and not putting your own, right? It says it's a promise to you and your children. 
Right? It's a promise that the gift is available, but it's not a promise that everybody gets it. Awesome. Unless you ask for it. It's the promise that it's there, and it's the promise that whenever you go for it, when, when your children come for it, the promise is still true and the promise is still there. Yeah. It's also a responsibility, too, for you to now Thank you. bestow it upon your kids to like, all right, this is the way you should go. You know, like the proverb says, train them up. I'm just making sure there's no hands. Um, train up a child in the way you should go, and uh, when he gets older, you won't depart from it. It's like, it's a privilege, it's a gift, but it's a responsibility, like a driver's license. This is something <laughs> that we're commissioned as parents to teach our kids. Can, can I say this from a youth pastor real quick, and please don't get mad at me. Um, it's not my responsibility to tell your kids about Jesus. It's yours as a parent. My job is to help you as a parent walk with your children and disciple your children. That's your job is to disciple. My job is to help you and assist you in that and to walk you through that. Our job as parents is to lead our children up in the ways of the Lord and to teach them what it means of this promise. Our job is, as my job as a youth minister is to talk to them about Jesus, to make those questions come alive in their life and then hopefully they're going home and talking to you. If you expect me in an hour a week to, to disciple your kid, um, that's, not, that's not possible. If you can't do it in 24 hours a day, how can I do it an hour a week? Um, our job as parents is to disciple children, is to disciple our kids and to do something with that. Uh, another thing in here real quick um, before I hear, the, um, in, before we, we kind of go through with this one. Um, if you go back to Matthew 27, um, look at this real quick. And I, I think this is another thing, kind of why Peter put this in there. Um, Matthew 27, uh, verse 25. This is Jesus right before he's about to be crucified. Um, it goes through, and this is Jesus before Pilate, and Pilate's basically bringing Jesus back out, and they're saying, hey, should we let him go? Um, and they're screaming about crucifying. Verse 25 says, all the people answered. Um, actually, verse 24 says, when Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, um, but that in instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. He said, it's your responsibility. And then look at verse 25. It says, all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. So I'm just throwing this out kind of hypothetical. I wonder if Peter said that this whole little sentence about this promise is for your children, for you and for your children, to let these people know that, hey, I realize you guys said something really stupid a while back, but this promise is still true for your children. You didn't do something, and so let this, let me, hopefully this will, will make sense. We don't do something as a parent that's so bad that it screws our kids up from knowing who Jesus is. Does that make sense? Um, and I don't know, I can't honestly go back and say that was Peter's intention on it. I just think that it's weird that those two things are, when he's talking about the story of Jesus and his crucifixion and death, and that happened during that time, and Peter would have been one of the ones that saw and watched and witnessed that. Um, the promise is for you, your children, and, and then look at the, the rest of that, and for all who are, fall off, who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. Don't you love that that's, that little clause is thrown in there? So this promise is for you, it's for your children, and it's for anybody. <laughs> why, why is the, if you ask people outside of the church about what happens inside of the church, what are some words that you normally hear? Hypocrisy, judgmental, all they want is our money, bunch of liars, Right? You ask us, 
what's going on? You walk up to a Christian, if I were to walk out to any of you guys, I, this happens all the time. Hey, how you doing, man? How's your week? Oh, everything's great. And your week is the opposite of great. Everything in your week is so far polar opposite of what great even looks like, but what do we do as Christians? Oh, it's great, everything's good. I got my Jesus smile going, do you see it? Um, and in a second, dude, I'm gonna get me my Jesus coffee on the way out the door, I'm gonna get that Jesus caffeine and I'm gonna get home and life stinks. But I can't show that here because I'm in church. This, this promise, this is the start of the church. Remember who this was written to? This is Peter talking to a group of people that have no clue what the church is. They're just hearing for the first time Jesus and how he wrecks lives. They're, they're just for the first time getting that down. Why, and this, this is my question for us. Why do we act like we have everything together as believers, as the church? Or is, is that a, an untrue statement? Why, why do we come together and we, we act like we have every answer, we have it all together? Um, if somebody talks about being broken, they're humble. They're not humble, they're honest. <laughs> they're just, they're messed up. Why do we come together, we gather together in a place like this and we pretend that everything is okay? What's, what's the thought behind that? Because it's this verse, it, it nowhere in this says, hey, before you come into this building, before you get membership, before any of that happens, you have to get, every, get your ducks in a line. Um, you, you gotta get everything lined up, everything's gotta be perfect, it's all gotta be beautiful. You have to smell good, you have to look good, you have to be this appearance, you've gotta, no. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Why do we pretend that we're all okay? And, and don't get worried, this isn't where we're gonna have a time where we're like, all right, so everybody stand up one at a time and, and say you know, part of your life that's screwed up. Um, we don't have time for that, because I would start and you would never get a chance. This is, this is, this is just my thought that I, I would love for us to just start you understand, and again, this gets back to cutting you to the heart. When we understand that we're not perfect, it's gonna help us see other people in the same way that Jesus sees them. And it helps us to stop judging people because they sin differently than we do. Because this, this gospel message, this message that wants to cut us to the heart, it's not for the, the great, it's not for the holy, it's not for the, the clean, it's not for the beautiful, it's not for the wealthy. This is for all who are far off. This promise, this beautiful promise is for anybody. You understand how difficult it is for the world to want to come into a building full of perfect people. If we're perfect inside of here, at least, at least we put on that persona of perfection. It makes a broken world really skeptical of coming in because they won't be accepted. So how do we how do we do that without making it weird? Because <laughs> I don't want this to be this huge cry fest where we all partner up with the people beside you and you confess your three greatest sins. Um, that would, like, the mind would take on a whole new avenue of what we're doing. That'd be terrible. But how, how do we do that in reality then? How, how do we come in with honesty and not judgment? And don't get me wrong, there's, there's still consequences to sin. And I'm not saying that just because you walk in these doors that it's like a sin eraser and the consequences of sin has been deleted. <laughs> I'm just saying, what, what if, maybe this is too crazy, what if we started being honest and stopped giving the persona of everything okay? 
If you examine churches today, and this kills me because I'm growing to love the church more and more, if we don't stop pretending like everything is okay, the church is gonna become a place where we come in and we, just, we don't want life application or change. We want Greek, Hebrew, or some really cool quote from an old dead white guy. And if we can get a really cool quote from, you know, from some dude that died several years ago, and we can tweet that, that doesn't cut you to the heart. <laughs> Me teaching you Hebrew for broken and you walking out of here saying Nishbar, that, that does nothing to cut you to the heart. But you understanding the promise that God gives us in the gift of, of the Holy Spirit, dude, that can light your heart wide open. <laughs> and it can cause you to look up and say, hey, what do I do next? Let's keep going. I don't know how much time we have. Bobby, are we close at all? Okay, perfect. Um, they said I've got another hour, so that's awesome. Um, two. two hours, sweet. Verse 38, um, repent, be baptized. 39, promises for you and your children um, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40 says, when many, um, this, is, this is cool, when many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Look, look in verse 41. Actually, stay in verse 40 for a second. This is Lynn every Sunday morning. I don't know if you understand how, how beautiful um, of a pastor we have that would come up here and is one of the most creative men I've ever seen in pleading with, with us and trying to show us how to do things differently that resemble God to give us joy in our life. Showing us through this book how to take different parts of our life. When, when was the last time you sat in church and heard a topic like we've been discussing in the last four weeks? They hear it in TV, they hear it in school, they hear, we hear it all over the place, workplace, we hear it everywhere. But when was the last time you heard a church stand up and talk to you and talk you through what it means to be godly in these areas of your life? He's pleading, with, I love that. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Verse, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. To tell me this, because um, I'm curious to see where this is gonna go. Why do we care how many people accepted Christ? Why is the church so caught up in numbers? I mean, we're, we're constantly talking about numbers. We're constantly talking about this happened or this happened and this many people came. Um, when we get in staff meetings, we talk about how many people accepted Christ. And one of the things that we, we kind of use as, as a tool to, to talk through was the gospel clear was we look at salvations. And, and don't, don't misunderstand that. We understand that the Holy Spirit is the one that, that makes, makes the, the word of God come alive and that causes life change. Um, but we can tell usually by, by what that looks like, by numbers, and we, we count numbers a lot in this church. And Lynn is very, very often coming in and saying, hey, what are numbers in high school? What are numbers in junior high? What are numbers look like here? Why do we as a church care so much about numbers? What, what, what are some thoughts on this? Or do, do they even matter? Is that, are we being stupid? Is that, so we, are we, what, what help me with this. Why, why do we care? Yes, they I believe they do matter, but yes and no. Okay. Because as long as you're bringing, talking to one, I think you should talk to one. Or if God puts a thousand in front of you, you should talk to a thousand. So whatever he puts in front of you, you should talk to, right? Definitely. Because that's the commission. That's it. If it's but, one or... why does the church... 
I think because if the church sees we're getting one person to salvation or a hundred, they're seeing the Holy Spirit work through. If we're getting zero, then the church needs to say, what are we doing wrong? Okay. Why are we not on the right path? Do we need to repent? What is happening? What has changed? Because if we're not reaching people, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. I like that. And that's really, that's the philosophy of the church. We're gonna do this if it's one person or if it's a million in one. Um, but you, you hear us talking numbers repeatedly. Even, even through that, we're talking through, what, what else? Why do you think, why does it matter? Or does and it? I, uh, um, well. That freaked me out because I was looking at her and I was like, her voice, her voice is deep. Uh, I know, that messed, with my, that messed with my head a little bit. It's Tuesday and we did Freaky oh. Friday. No, um, <laughs> it's, well, like to add on to what Brother Bobby was saying was that it does show life, that there's life in the church, that it's growth, but most importantly, isn't souls, God's, where his heart is, and like on the lost. And then that's why our heart, you know, we're supposed to seek his heart and we're just inflamed. We're just ready to go for it, to get souls for him in his way because we can't, you know, I know I've been definitely at a point where I've been pushy at certain times, but, you know, when he works it out, it's beautiful because that's what his true love is about is his heart's after the lost. And I think that that's why a lot of the time numbers for souls is important. I like that. Yeah. I feel that it's just that the churches do numbers because they're trying to figure out um, what the changes are on counts of, uh, in different areas to find out what the church needs to improve on mm -hmm. and how they're getting to the people to bring them into the church or how they're grasping the concept of the word. Um, I, it's used for many different things, and it's for the good of the church. If you didn't, you have to have some way to keep track of what you need to do to bring more people to Christ and get people living the Word of God and living by the Holy Spirit, letting them um, lead them where they need to go. Can, can I ask this? Because I agree with that. I just, I want to see, I want you to see it in action. How many of you have accepted Christ in this church? How many of you have received a card from one of the pastors? Like throughout the somewhere in time, you just get a card, like you put it on a prayer request or something. Um, you, you, you gave out that knowledge, that information to us, and then during the month or the week sometime, you got a card back from us. You understand that every, every, every number that accepts Christ in this church on Tuesday morning, we meet back in A104 or five, whatever this room is, and as a staff, we take through every one of those numbers. That's really not a number, it's a name, and we pray for them by name, and we handwrite them a card by name, and we pray for them throughout the week. Um, every one of those numbers, um, because it's not a number, it's, it's a name, and it's a soul, um, and it's, it's somebody that's hearing for the first time possibly Jesus, one more, real quick, and then I want to I see something in this real fast. Well, just, just one thing that I, I, I think about with that is, um, you know, it's just, it's just based around obedience. Because, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, throughout his entire ministry, he didn't, he didn't mm -hmm. see one person uh, convert. And then if you look at, uh, you know, the prophet Jonah, he saw a whole, uh, a whole city repent, and then after... Um, after that happened, Jonah, I mean, he, he basically, you know, pouts, saying, okay, and it, it's just basically 
uh, you know, our heart and, you know, are we being obedient? Uh, you know, it doesn't, we need to tell as many people as we can, but we just need to give the results to God. And he's going to be the one who's going to honor that. Definitely. And, and I want us to get our, get our brains wrapped around this number thing, because as you go farther through the book of Acts, it's constantly going to throw numbers out to you. This, when this church starts, it's going to keep throwing numbers out because those are numbers of, of names. Those are people. Um, one of the things that I love, again, about our church and what we do with numbers here, that's how we evaluate our effectiveness and the honesty of what we do. We would do it for one, um, but there's how many people in Chandler and in this part of the city? Several hundred thousand, four to 500,000, I think. Um, is that close? More than 20. There, there's a lot of people in, in this part of Arizona. Um, there's a lot of people in this part of Arizona that could, would profess that they don't have a church home, they don't believe in God, and they may or not even believe that he's real. We should be doing something to do that. And, and I love this analogy. Lynn uses this with us all the time. Um, the majority of, of churches in the world right now, they shoot an arrow and then they go and draw a circle around it and say they hit the bullseye. And that's not really target practice. Um, what we at Cornerstone do, we establish the bullseye before we shoot the arrow. And numbers are how we help evaluate how close we were to the bullseye. Does that make sense? Um, and it's a tool that we use to make sure that we're doing everything possible. The funds that we get, the tithes that we get, we're using those offerings to go out and attract the largest number of people possible into this building so that they're not just a number. That number becomes a name. And that name is somebody now who's heard who Jesus is. And it's hopefully a life that's grabbing hold of this promise of the Holy Spirit. Um, so keep that thought in mind as you're hearing th through the rest of Acts um, with numbers, because even in this, those, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added um, that day. So the church started, and, and check out how, for those of you who have done church planning or you know, helped with um, Santan or Scottsdale, how freaky would that be where you start with just a message and your church is nobody. You say amen, you open your eyes, and now your church is 3,000. And you don't have a building, you don't have a worship leader, you don't have a full-time campus pastor, um, you don't have any of those things. And that, that's the, the start of the church, which that's, that's awesome. So let, let's hurry and get through this because I'm, um, 42 says they devoted themselves. And, and this, this last little section we're going to read that, that kind of gets us out of, out of Acts 2, everything that we just talked about, this is what would happen if we put that into motion. So the object of tonight isn't to become smarter, it's to apply what we, we, we see in this book. So let me throw this before we read these last few verses together. Everything that we just talked about, if we would allow the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, if we, would, if we would think back to that moment and we would allow this book to cut us to the heart, if we would stop pretending to be perfect in this room and we would come into this place real and open, this is what would happen. Look in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's a really nice way of saying they all came together and they were honest with each other. Hey, how was your day? Dude, it was terrible. Let me, let me tell you what happened. This, that, that's a really nice way of saying that. Breaking bread, fellowship, um, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. When was the last time you were filled with awe? Not like, awe. I mean like, whoa, that type of awe. That's a problem. That, that's because that's we're not being cut to the heart. I guarantee you when we start getting cut to the heart on a regular basis, I'm promoting emoism right now. When we, we get cut to, I don't know if emoism is a word. When we get cut to the heart on a regular basis, the sense of awe is gonna, it's gonna become a regular part of our day. 
we're going to have things that you're going to be like, whoa. I've been in a church where a guy accepted Christ before the message. That threw our entire staff into a state of awe. This guy walked in and said, I don't even know what y'all are doing here. I just feel like there's something different. What in the world is happening in this place? And accepted Jesus before the service started. That put us in a sense of awe. When we did baptisms out here not too long ago, we had like the four tubs and we were baptizing people. I don't remember how many of us it was. It seemed like a million. That put me in a sense of awe. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They didn't have church on just Monday or Tuesday or Sunday. It was every day they came together for church. Every day they gathered together. That's awe. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Never mind. Um, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord kept adding people daily who were being saved. That's a lot that I read through. And I did that because we're getting low on time. Um, the believers came together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good and giving to one another as they had need. You understand that when we come into this place and we, we aren't perfect and we're okay with that, so okay with that that we want to follow Jesus who's gonna help us through not being perfect and we're real with each other, we're gonna see miraculous signs and wonders. We're gonna see things that make us in a state of awe. We're gonna see things that radically are different than the rest of the world. You understand that the normal church in America right now, any guess as to what the average salvation rate is in the normal church in America? Any guess? Tell, tell me out loud that number. One percent? One person? A year. Usually over the age of 20. I'm sorry, under the age of 20. Average church in America sees one person a year under the age of 20 trust Jesus with their life. That gives me a sense of awe, but in the wrong direction. It's because we come together and we act perfect. And when we act perfect, we become so good that the rest of the world who's broken is afraid to come in. Because then we are hypocritical because we act perfect in here, but we don't out there. And all those things that we just described as people, that that's how they see us. It's because in here, we got it all together. Everything's great. Everything's good. No, I don't need no help. I don't struggle with this sin. I don't struggle with this. I'm, everything's awesome. Everything's cool when you're part of a team. Everything's, we, we got it. But when we go out there and the world hits, that persona goes away. It's easy to pretend in here, and this is kind of where I want to leave us, um, and hopefully I did not not give you a chance to, to respond in that. It's easy to pretend unless you're around family. Have you noticed that? Like, I, you can come up to me, and I can smile, and you can be like, hey, Tim, how was your day? And this wasn't a good day for me. Um, just being 100% honest, this day was horrible for me. Um, the rain was terrible. My roof's leaking. The inside of my house is a mess. Um, my kids are running amok. Um, this wasn't a good day, but I can, I can smile with you, and I can pretend my way through it. 
But when I get home and my wife walks in the room and she's like, hey, you all right? It doesn't matter how many times I smile, it doesn't matter what I say, she knows. I get in front of my mom, mom knows. Family can read you. When we become family in here, where when somebody says, hey, how you doing? And you're like, dude, everything's great. And you're like, no, it's not. What's up, how you doing? And we care. We're gonna start to see verse 42 through verse 47 come alive. And we're gonna see God start to add numbers daily, those who are being saved. And just on average, I don't remember the exact number, but I know it was close to 400 and something, I think, this year that we've seen accept Christ in Cornerstone. Um, We're gonna see daily those numbers increasing. And what I love about Lynn is he sees that number and he's like, that's awesome, but there's way more than 400 people in this part of the city that need to know who Jesus is. Way more. Let me, um, let me do this. I wanna I want pray for us. And the, the questions I, I would love for us to, to get out of here with and just to be thinking through is, that this was the one that hit me the hardest through this. Why do we pretend like we have to be perfect in here? And we don't need to answer that now. That's just kind of something cool for you guys to talk about maybe on the way home or to mess with the, the guy at Starbucks. Um, why people in church pretend to be good with everything and just see what they say? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for, um, thank you for this, God. Thank you for the, just the gift of your word, the truth that's in it. Um, God, thank you for the fact that we don't have to come into this place perfect, that we don't have to walk into these doors righteous and holy and, and flawless. Um, if we did, we would have no need for you. So God, forgive me of the times that I've walked into this place and pretended that everything was okay when I know deep down inside I'm broken and God, that I'm hurting. And instead of crying out to family like I should do in this room, God, I, I hide it and pretend that everything's good, hoping that it goes away. And then I wonder why I can't hear your voice. So Jesus, tonight, as a family, as, as a church body, would you help us to, to just a couple things, God? Would you help this passage to become real in our lives? God, would you start allowing your word, would, man, would you start opening our minds to your word in such a way that it cuts us to the heart? And God, we become so broken by what we read in your book, God, that we cry out to you, hey, God, what do we do? How do I take this passage and use it in my life? God, would you help us to be a, a place where the broken and the, the wounded and the vulnerable and the, the sinners, God, that we're, we're welcoming and that these, this place is filled with people who are broken that don't know you, that this becomes a hospital and, and not a resort. Jesus, help us to be so real with who you are in our lives that we get awestruck by what you do through us. It amazes me that you could use someone like me to stand in public and even say your name without, without messing up even just that. Jesus, strike us with awe by what you'll do through us if we'll just go to you willingly and open and honest. And God, would you continue to add numbers to this church daily? And God, would you fill the churches in the valley with people who need to hear you? And, and through the valley, God, through the state of Arizona, God, would you continue to, to add to those numbers the people who are being saved? And continue, God, to use us until we're, we're, we're done, we can't breathe anymore, and then God, call us home. So Jesus, until that day comes, give us energy, give us strength, cut us to the heart, and use us for your glory. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Amen. I have no idea what we're supposed to do next, but I'm thinking I'm supposed to dismiss you.
So um, thanks for coming tonight. I hope you guys have a great week. Um, don't read ahead. Well, actually, read ahead because Acts 3 is good. It, it's it's going to pick up and get crazy. Thanks for coming, though. Watch the water on the way home, and we'll see you guys next, th- next Tuesday.